Live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Our daddy had a cow named Strychnine, and the evening milking job was mine. I've traveled the world in the lot of scene, but I never met a cow so far as mean as Strychnine. That cow would see me with the bucket and stool. That cow's religion was the bovine rule. Before you give him milk, you gotta give him, well, you get the idea, and she did it well, Strychnine. I'll try to take a milk and she take a little turn. That's just one of the many dances she loves. She sobbed a lesson, dust that dough, kicked that bucket and away she goes, strip nine. At other times she made me think she'd changed her way. While all the while devising evil plans as she grazed. With the speed of an arrow and cat like grace, she'd whip that tail across my face, strip She let the milk at your side Almost down to tripping time But just when I thought I had her tame That cow would remind me why she named Strychnine I think I learned a lot about Hard work and what is not in I think I learned about what my daddy calls character When I left home for my first job there That old cow jumping and died Mysteriously Hmm Her daddy had a cow named Strychnine And the evening melting job was mine I've traveled the world as a lot of scene But I never met a cow so hard me Tennessee is celebrating its 227th 
anniversary of statehood today. It became a state on June 1st, 1796. That's been a while back, Bobby. Mm, yeah, yeah. 20 that years. That has been 20, a while. 20 years from the uh, Revolutionary War. It's interesting. Yeah, and the other you know. interesting thing is that uh, my great-great-great-grandfather, Ambrose Houston Holt, moved to Tennessee from North Carolina before it became a state here in Tennessee. So oh, that's going back goodness. a while. I've that's got deep roots, deep yep. roots here in Tennessee. But uh, anyway, also on today in 1968, and that was the year that I graduated from high school, uh, Simon and Garfunkel went to number one on the U.S. singles chart with Mrs. Robinson. You remember that oh, movie? The I Graduate. Do. Mm-hmm. The Graduate. Yes, I do. And then the following year, that song earned a Grammy Award for Record of the Year, and that was in 1969. And so June 1st is a pretty important uh, period of time. Interesting, Bobby, that Art Garfunkel married my doctor's daughter and so he was married <laughs> to Lawrence Grossman's daughter so small world isn't it you have amazing connections Mr. Holt <laughs> small small world well that marriage didn't last I don't know how long that lasted but it didn't last very long but uh, I actually I watched a special on uh, on Paul Simon last night it was a Grammy salute I think it was a rerun but uh, mm-hmm. that was on CBS last night. It was a lot of fun oh. watching that salute to Mr. Paul Simon, who is now 81 years young. So mm-hmm. anyway, very good. Well, what's going on with Miss Bobby Bell in, in uh, Albuquerque today? Oh, well, um, we hope that we'll have uh, power and Internet through our whole two hours together. We got thunderstorms moving in, and it looks very ominous out there right now. And so um, potential for, you know, some kind of some kind of weather heading our way. We'll see. But um, I'm good. I'm just doing the you know normal thing. It's Thursday. So for me, that's radio day pretty much all day all right. in the evening and always look forward to it. And we've got a great well, show lined up today. Yeah, I started to say don't go anywhere for this next hour because we've got some great guests. And who do we have joining us? We are going to start our time together with Aspen Black, who's just released a fantastic new um, album. And then we'll be joined with um, Cheryl Cedarberg, who is a fabulous poet. And we've got a great right. hour lined up. So we're going to have a great time on the Campfire Cafe. And then on Saddle Up America, Mr. Randy Rasmussen with Backcountry Horsemen of America will be joining us. So we have a great couple of hours to share with you today on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. But right now, let's listen to a great song from Aspen CD, Born to be a Cowgirl. This one is called Where the Cowboys Ride. We'll be back in just a moment to talk with Aspen Black today on the Campfire Cafe. i 
Legacy Radio Network. We just heard Aspen Black perform her original Where the Cowboys Ride from her brand new album, Born to Be a Cowgirl. Today's Campfire Cafe features two talented performers, each with an engaging personal story and music or poetry to share. Our guests are singer, songwriter, and performer Aspen Black, followed by poet Cheryl Cedarberg. Let me tell you something a little bit about our first guest, Aspen Black. Aspen Black has two lifelong loves, horses and music. She began both as a toddler and grew up to become a champion barrel racer and horse trainer, as well as a nationally awarded singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist. Today, Aspen tours the country as both a solo artist and in a duo with Carrie Grumbacher. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe, the voice and creative spirit behind her new album, Born to Be a Cowgirl. Aspen Black, welcome Aspen. Hello, thank you for having me. Hello, Miss Aspen. How are you? Hello, 
I'm doing well. Good. You know, there's a reason that I like you, and that's because you have the same two loves that I have, horses and music. Ah. Good combination, well, my friend. Good love. Yes. Those are absolutely. good loves. Well, and my and my wife and my wife is the main love, but but uh, well, I uh, like horses your wife, and music. But she shows the love. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, gosh. Well, tell us real quickly. It's been a while since you've been on the show. It's been a number of years since you've been with us. Yes, sir. And so, yes, it has. For the for the millions of people that are listening to this show today, tell us a little bit about how you got started in music, and then we'll talk a little bit about this new album. But uh, where did you get started in your musical career? Uh, actually, the earliest that I'm aware of that I got started as a singer and songwriter uh, are from recordings that my parents made on cassette tape when I was about two years old, um, just walking <laughs> around the farm, the house. I I was known to do this for hours on end, hence the reason my mom finally started recording it. Um, I would just sing words, melodies, stream of consciousness all over the place. It was just like I was born into having music and rhyme and meter in the way I think. And uh, so as I would interpret the world, it would come out in song. And I would just sing it as I was going. Um, And so as I progressed a little bit older, I began my formal training at age six as a concert violinist. And uh, was in the Maryland Youth Symphony uh, as I got older. Uh, so did a lot of symphonic work on up through college. Uh, simultaneously, school, of course, gives you wonderful opportunities to learn music and music theory. So during that time, I also participated in the school band, playing clarinet and then switching to percussion, where I took a lot of uh, private lessons, believe it or not, in things like snare drum and uh, marimba, vibraphone. Uh, played in the high school marching band, uh, still in the percussion unit. Uh, simultaneously goodness. was in choir and church choir through school, um, was in the madrigal singers uh, through school as well as uh, theatrical uh, singing. So I just was really immersed in music. Um, and uh, I ne- the funny thing is, you know, now everyday you know, people see me with a guitar in my hand or uh, another stringed instrument like that. And I didn't really pick up the guitar until I was 16 years old. It was around. My mom played guitar, but I didn't. I was playing violin and everything else. So, uh, goodness <laughs> gracious. The ripe old later. age of 16. Yeah. The <laughs> ripe right. old age of 16. Yeah, tell my wife that she was forty, I think, when she picked up the mm-hmm. guitar. But mm-hmm. wow! So, so, so when's when's the first time that you hit the stage and got paid for performing? Uh, it would be right after that, um, probably around sixteen and a half, seventeen years old. I mean, I was on stage a lot through school things. Uh, you know, the the violin afforded me a lot of special things beyond just the school orchestra. I was in a chamber yeah. music group, and then uh, through the school, I was in a Dixieland jazz group where I played as the drummer at age 12. So, you know, I was doing all these things, but in terms of saying those were professional, 
Uh, no, I mean, when you're a kid, not unless you're such a standout. Um, so I would say somewhere, I wrote my first lyrical song at age 12, and I was actually so immersed my, my, my. in the, <laughs> I was immersed in the, um, the composition end of things with uh, the symphony that, yeah, and people who write songs right now can laugh because we know we write them with uh, just lyric sheets and put chords over them now. It's a typed out Word document of, of anything. But I put it all on staff paper. And mm-hmm. I wrote every mm-hmm. note. I notated it. I I put all the different arrangements of the different instruments I wanted to hear. Um, and so I realized pretty quickly when I wrote a lyrical song at age 12 that I didn't have a way to accompany my, and, you know, the guitar has um, chords and your melody and your voice fill in. Well, the violin is like the melody and voice. So it kind of doubled over there. And that's when I eventually decided, okay, I'm going to have to switch to either piano or guitar. And uh, I had a, probably a two year foray into piano in second or third grade and Never could quite get that bass clef to <laughs> match in my head right. I was a trouble clef Oh, girl. goodness gracious. So, so I decided guitar would be much easier. Uh, so, yeah. That's, that's did you say, Bobby, did you say multi-instrumentalist in that introduction that I you did? I did. I did. And I'm did glad you have any idea? Like, a did you have bit, any idea? A little bit, but she, but she's sharing a whole lot more. I'm glad you asked the question. My that was a question. I can I can check that question off my question list because she's covering <laughs> that beautifully here. <laughs> oh gosh! All right. So when did you for, make your foray into Nashville, Tennessee? What what brought you to Nashville? I I mean music, but what? Uh, yeah. Well, um, well, of course, obviously music. The the idea to pursue that. Um, I was 18 when I first came to Nashville and uh, worked with producer Robert Jenkins down there. And I, uh, he gave me an opportunity to play my original music. Uh, I started recording some of, of his as well. The idea to do like everyone else does, get on mainstream radio and right. uh, worked, worked with him uh, and his team for about a year or so of, uh, you know, development. Um, and so I, I think I, I would have to get the exact dates right, but I was, I was 18 when I came and I know either late 18 year or early 19 year old, uh, is when my first, uh, original song got on mainstream country radio. And, um, wow. I was just totally blown away. I was, uh, at the same time I had uh, been taking classes at Oklahoma Horseshoeing School out in Oklahoma City. So I was commuting between Nashville and Oklahoma City uh, to do those horseshoeing classes. And Goodness I remember gracious. clearly I was driving west out of Memphis across the uh, Mississippi River Bridge about halfway through there, and my single came on the real radio, as you call it. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. I'm driving my 1990 crew cab dually. You know, I'm I'm this little girl in this big truck, and I had the windows down, and I blasted the radio as loud as I could, and I'm thinking, man, I made it. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, yeah. 
I'm not a big star. It didn't go as far as I'd hoped, but it went somewhere. And uh, I had singles actually play on mainstream radio in the mid-90s. And uh, so I'm really grateful for that experience. And everything I got with the coaching through songwriting, um, how to write commercially and, uh, you know, how how to be on stage, you know, in, in that type of setting. And uh, just there's so much that goes into developing an artist uh, that I benefited from in that time. Wow. Wow. So the big question I have is, do you know how to shoe a horse? Yes, sir. There we go. So <laughs> she prefer, can do music. I prefer barefoot trims, but I do know how to shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, gosh. Well, we're going to get to another song from the album Born to be a Cowgirl. This is one called Montana, and uh, and Carrie Grombacher is joining you on this one. So how did you and Carrie yeah. hook up? Actually, uh, did... out in Albuquerque, where Bobby Jean is. Uh, so, yeah, we, we met at the uh, IWMA convention in 2011, I believe it was. Uh, okay. worked on a couple committees and um, I think really what was instrumental is the East Coast chapter of the IWMA uh, it was something I tried to get off the ground for a few years previous to that it never really materialized and then when we got out there some folks who had been sort of on board with me uh, approached me we decided to have a meeting and found we had a scant number of folks that were east of the Mississippi River and uh, Carrie jokes, and I know he's listening right now, <laughs> but he jokes <laughs> that he is in the bend of the Mississippi River that's just east, <laughs> so uh, down there in New Orleans. <laughs> so he technically qualifies probably by you know, a mile or so or something. Um, there you go. But uh, so anyway, he was part of our chapter. We worked on some stuff together, and um, it took uh, probably a couple more years in 2013. Uh, after uh, some of those late night song circles and jamming and stuff and just some, uh, you know, follow-up emails, we decided to uh, work together on a song that he had written called Yellow Slicker. And uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that, uh, and I think, Bobby Jean, you've played that song. Uh, oh, yeah. On his last uh, Range of the Buffalo yeah. CD. Which, yep. Uh, yep, several times. It's know, a wonderful it's, duet. Yep. Yeah, so that was 2014, well, I think, we first did wow. that song. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, let's take a listen because Carrie is on this one. It's called Montana, and it is from the city Born to be a Cowgirl. We'll be back to talk more with Aspen Black in just a moment on the Campfire Cafe. In summer, I'd count thousand columbines But now they're all covered up in snow I try to fix these walls But I can't grip the nails So I warm your fingers in the lantern's glow Feel the socks on Still I can't feel my toes We shudder now each time the cold wind blows We said out last spring, our hearts filled with the dream. I promised you I'd be strong and brave. 
But snow piles thick as walls Can't find the barn, the path So I stumble lost Colder than the grave How can I tell you I want to run away I'm numb and frail We worked so hard to stay But I can't take Montana anymore Oh, I can't take Montana anymore Wind cuts like a jagged blade Snow blows through our door I can't take Montana We learn to plant the wheat Cut scrap wood from crates Build our chairs I talk but no one hears Except the beating of my heart And the wind that shrieks like demons everywhere You shake the sign Lost in twilight I kiss your brow Pretend that it's Congratulations, Aspen. This is a really terrific CD, and I can see from your Facebook page, although it has just rolled out, it's getting a lot of airplay, and I can see and listen to a lot of very powerful songs on the album. Would you take a moment and tell us a little bit of the backstory of this album, Born to be a Cowgirl, um, and how did you determine which songs, what songs you would include? Okay, sure. Uh, well, as you know, Carrie and I have been performing together. Uh, he mentored me really into uh, performing in the Western music world, and uh, since 2014 or so, is 
uh, really helped build up uh, my presence there and uh, give me so many opportunities to perform in places that I wouldn't have normally sought out coming in it from the country music world. Uh, so a lot of these songs, I would say about six of them, I knew right off the top were going to be on the next album. Um, I, you know, had, I had a 2017 release and I had one in the works. I was hoping to get started recording in 2019 with that core set of most of those songs. Um, and, you know, the pandemic happened and everything went haywire. So things went mm-hmm. on hold, but, mm-hmm. uh, Several of those songs, the the core five or six that I knew were slated for the project, um, one thing that I do, and this may be a throwback to Nashville or to, uh, you know, just good performance skills really, is take these songs out and season them. Uh, You know, you Mm -hmm. talk about seasoning a barrel horse, and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're you're not going to take your young prospect to the, you know, the the big fancy rodeo. You're going to season that horse and a bunch of local shows and make sure they're going to hold up. And um, that's what I do with my songs. Um, We start out with, you know, local open mics and things like that, uh, just to see audience response. And if I feel a song is responding well and doing well, um, and I make little tweaks and changes and things like that as they go. Uh, If it turns out to be a good song that I think is going to work out, uh, there's a very finite number of songs I can put in a show that Carrie and I do because we you know, might do an hour, hour and a half concert, and between his music, my music, and the duet music, there's not a lot of extra room for new songs. But I do mm-hmm. slip in, you know, a, a new song here and there and see how it's going to work. So, um, and it has to replace an old song that was doing well. Uh, so that's, that's a big quandary. <laughs> Uh, so that's how several of those came about, um, which I guess on the flip side means that when you come to one of our concerts, you're hearing, you know, the best of the best at any given time because these are songs that have been seasoned and uh, had great audience response, uh, you know, throughout for the most part, uh, with exception of maybe one or two new songs thrown in uh, that are already on their way to to being good enough to be in a paid show. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so the, yeah, that's how the, the original ones came about. And then uh, I had, I think, about four slots. I knew I wanted to do 10 because, uh, you know, recording's pricey. And <laughs> literally this is 30 years since I recorded in Nashville. I've, you know, been trying, trying, trying uh, to get back to that kind of level of recording. And, you know, being a mom and running a farm and everything is, you know, I'm not made of money. It just uh, doesn't happen that way. So. I'm so grateful to be back, and I, I knew I had four songs left on that, and so I chose uh, pretty carefully. I knew which ones were contenders, but they needed a little bit of work, so I did that work, and then the title track just kind of came out of nowhere. So, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's how it came together. Yeah. Well, the album feels very, uh, not exactly biographical, but I can sense that every song uh, you you have lived it. You've been there. Mm-hmm. Maybe an area that you toured through. You you've talked to people who lived in that area. That you have really a very personal connection to the subject matter of the song. I think Montana is incredibly powerful as a 
a DJ and somebody with a lot of music that I listen to, Mont- it's a you know Montana is often a, an, an idyllic place. It's it's um, it's held up as you know place of great beauty, and um, you really give us that flip side uh, that we all know too about Montana, but that. These places in the West, you know, you can romanticize them and make them what you like, but you can also show us what um, it's really like to experience life there. And and I I think that's a really powerful song. Well, thank you, thank you. Yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. Everything is uh, is lived or uh, experienced uh, through through my music. Uh, and and yes, there's some storytelling involved in there. Not every character is myself first person, um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I didn't just pull things out of thin air. Uh, you know, many of these are experiences that I had. And sometimes, you know, if you read uh, for those who get the CD, you'll read in the liner notes that some of them took place, uh, I think, in Blue Eyes, there are three experiences that took place from 1996 to 2013, but they all ended up wow. in song. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, this is a fun, fun album, and it's born to be a cowgirl, and so we're going to take a listen to that song right now and come back and visit for just a few minutes more with Miss Aspen Black today on the Campfire Cafe.
cut to Born to be a Cowgirl, Aspen Black, has been our very special guest today on the Campfire Cafe. And uh, Aspen, I'm kind of expecting you to play every instrument on the next album that comes out. <laughs> well, I I do uh, play most of them live in one way, shape, or form, but uh, <laughs> no, I think it would be best to, to leave that up to the uh, professionals to do on the CDs. <laughs> Uh, gosh. Well, we have some we have some pretty good guys down here in Nashville, and uh, and it was great to see you and Carrie both when you were recording down here. So we're going to invite yeah. you back and and uh, come by the Holt House again when you're back in town. So for our audience around the world that wants to find out how they can get Born to Be a Cowgirl, how can they do that? Well, uh, one of the best ways, of course, is to come to one of our concerts and. Uh, we will sell it to you right there and uh, sign it and everything else. Love to visit with you. Uh, we're touring all over the place uh, this summer. Uh, otherwise, you uh, can message me on Facebook. It's probably the easiest way. Uh, CD Baby changed how they do things, so they're no longer a good retail outlet for music. Um, so we kind of have to do this ourselves now. Uh, so if you can't catch up with me live, just message me on Facebook, and I will hook you up with how to get one. All right. And you have a website as well. They could go out, and, mm-hmm. and could they reach out to you there as well? Yeah, absolutely. AspenBlackCowgirl.com. All right. AspenBlackCowgirl.com is the website. That's right. And uh, and then Aspen Black on Facebook, you can just message her there as well. But you have been a great, great guest. It is so much fun visiting with you and kind of getting some of your background in history. And uh, Thank you. Did you ever play? I know you played the violin. Did you ever play the fiddle? Mm-hmm. Well, I do play it, and I can hear Carrie <laughs> laughing so, all the way from New Orleans right now. Because, uh, you know, it's just been a learning curve to try to do that differently, And uh, but I'm getting better. And uh, oh, okay. so, yes, I, I, can play, uh, I can play some fiddle stuff, but uh, okay. I would say I have, right. you know, but yeah, yeah, I can. All right, all right. Well, there is a definite difference between the violin and the fiddle, and uh, and and you know that when you're back here in Tennessee and Kentucky as well. So anyway, so we're going to close out this segment with another song from the CD called Cowboys and Troubadours. What can you tell us about this? Well, uh, the short answer on this is like Bobby Jean was saying about Montana. There's so much of a romance that people want to put about. Uh, how they want to see the West and how they want to see musicians and touring artists, really, and cowboys, working cowboys. And uh, I just was thinking, like I often do as I was headed to feed one day, how there's such a similarity between those two that, uh, you know, you tell people you're a touring artist and, oh, that's big and great and wonderful, and they, oh, I wish I could be that. But the reality of that is it's, it's a lot of driving and hard work and, you know, it's it's not what it's cracked up to be. Uh, there's a lot of just uh, difficult stuff in there. And the same thing with a working cowboy. You know, people, oh, they romanticize it because they see it in the movies or, uh, you know, they've read about it in a novel and they think it's great. But, you know, living that is a totally different thing. Uh, 
And, you know, I've had the opportunity to work on different farms and ranches and maybe not to the extent that some cowboys in the West work, but I've certainly got my taste of uh, those rough living conditions and, you know, even just, as you know, Gary, keeping horses uh, is a 24-7 thing, you know. There's, there's the old joke that you know no horse colics on Tuesday at 10 in the morning. It's going to be on a weekend <laughs> when it's, you know a holiday yeah. for emergency pay at 2 a.m. You know. That's right. <laughs> and it is probably going to be sleeting on top of that. Um, That's you know, right. So you know it, it's not the romantic thing people think it is when you get into living both of those lives. I wouldn't trade any of it. But uh, I just noticed that similarity, and I wanted to write a story about that. So I uh, created some characters that could tell that story for me. Well, this is Cowboys and Troubadours. Our special guest has been Aspen Black. And we'll be back to talk with Miss Cheryl Cedarberg when we return. Thanks, Aspen. <laughs> It's a 12-mile truck just for moving past till the day is done. He's in his soul, holding his boots, and he's thinking he might have strayed too far from his roots. He's feeling kind of lost. He just reigns around. She drove a thousand miles of circles with her old guitar. Just a play to a five-person room for tips and some cowboy bar. Smoke and beer hang in the air. They talk through his songs like she isn't there. She packs her truck alone, heads for another town. And it's a dirt road just clinging to their clothes. Living on the wrong bound for who the hell knows. Hands are cast, sweat on their skin, doing without all the searching within, thinking there's got to be something more for cowboys and troubadours. When they were young, she dreamed of fame, he dreamed of the cowboy life. No one knows her name He thought pulling fence On a Friday night If he was free He'd sit down And listen to the troubadour Who drove into town Singing her own truth To the story of his life About a dirt road Just clinging to their clothes Living on the wrong Bound for who the hell knows Hands are cast, they sweat on their skin They're doing without, all the searching within Thinking there's got to be something more Cowboys and troubadours But she's so far from tall buses and bright lights And he's so far from branding fires and running Lord. 
nothing like his dreams. He drew his wages and carried his saddle to the county road. He had his thumb in the air and no place in mind when the pickup load. She looked in his eyes, saw the hope and fear. She sees every morning when she looks in the mirror, so she Loaded up his saddle, they drove away Down the dirt road, dust clinging to their clothes Living on the wrong bound for who the hell knows Their hands are cast, the sweat on their skin They're doing without all the searching within Thinking there's got to be something more Cowboys and troubadours Welcome back to the award-winning Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Our next guest is Cheryl Cedarberg. She is a cowgirl poet who loves to tell a good story. She wants to make you laugh, cry, or at least think. She writes and performs original Old West, New West, and gospel-based cowboy poems. She graces the stage wherever she goes. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe, the creative voice behind her most recent album, Wisdom in the Wind, Cheryl Cedarberg. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you, Bobby Jean. How's the weather out there? (laughs) Well, it still looks threatening, but nothing happening yet. It's just teasing us, I think. (laughs) Hey, Cheryl, how's the weather out where you are in Colorado? You know what? I'm in South Dakota, and it's been just pretty green this year. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, I, I guess you've uh, you've had enough snow in the spring, didn't you? We had good snow. We had one that was 30 inches, and then oh. we had good rain this, um, this month as well. Oh, that's great. That is great. Well, you can't get enough moisture out in the west, no. so I'm, I'm glad you've got it. So thanks for joining us today. It's it's. I got to meet you at the IWMA convention in November, and uh, and it's funny, Bobby, because we were actually going to do a live show out there, and then it just all fell apart, and so we yeah, didn't get yeah. to have Cheryl on the show then, and so finally we have her on. And uh, tell us a little bit, Cheryl, about how you got started into the cowboy poetry. Well, you know, some people start their career at six. I started mine at 60. (laughs) (laughs) There was a few things that came together. Uh, My sister took me to a cowboy gathering in Colorado, and Uh so that was my first one. And then I wrote a poem for a family gift exchange. I took my dad's rope, and I wrote a poem about that, and I took his old rope, and I put flowers on it and made it into a wreath and gave it for a gift exchange. And the first person that opened uh, that gift, they read the first line and started crying and handed it to the next person who read another line and started crying Uh, and went to the next person. Oh, wow. And I'm, I'm sitting there watching going, why are they crying? I didn't realize that words could 
affect people the way they did. I I just really yeah. didn't. So that was the second thing. And the, all these three things happened within a month's time. And the third one is we had just joined a cowboy church. And everyone was – once a month, everyone's supposed to either sing or play something. And they said, well, can you do any of these – those things, I go, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I'll tell you what, I'll read a poem for you. <laughs> and, and I did, and it was well-received. And then they just kind of shot me on the way and said, you need to do this, and you need to do that. And that was just the start. Oh, there you go. To, that's a great way to get started. That is a great way to get started. And And words do have an effect on people. So whether it's tears or laughter, uh it's very powerful very very powerful so glad you got into it those things that happened in a row were just great things to have happen so i want to go ahead and get to uh a poem from wisdom in the wind and this is the very first poem on the cd it's called authentic cowgirl boots so how did you come to write this there was a post on Facebook from someone that was criticizing cowboy poets that they're all fake, they dress out funny, and they're not, they're just not real. They're they're not authentic. Wow. Wait a minute. Yeah, I think I saw that post, and I was glad you wrote a rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a listen to authentic. Cowgirl Boots, we're talking with Cheryl Cedarberg today on the Campfire Cafe. My cowgirl boots have never been inside a mucky cattle pen. A trailer, a barn, or a stirrup are places they've never been. They go to those fancy places, cowboy ball or country dance, cowboy church or funeral, whenever there's a chance. Now, some of you may think that's phony or worse things, I suppose. So let me tell you about my other pair waterproof and composite toes. Now they have seen all types of work and various types of manure. Now there's hay and mud and straw and mud and muck for sure. So when I come to see you today, which pair shall I wear? Well, I'll tell you without a doubt, it's gonna be this former pair. See, when you don't see us cowgirls in our authentic clothes, we're not trying to be phony, just respecting of your nose. So sit back, relax, and listen to the tales that we tell. Then you can take pleasure in the fact we sure do clean up well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. I love that. I love that. So, Cheryl, where was your first cowboy gathering? My first one was Colorado Cowboy gathering in Colorado. I didn't perform there. That's the first one I ever saw. The first one I performed in was the Badger Clark gathering here in Hot Springs. They no longer have it. Wow. And how long ago was that? Mm -hmm. Oh, probably five, six years ago before we moved out here. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So where'd you grow up? Yeah, me said just moved up there. Where'd you grow up? I grew up on a horse ranch in Colorado. Um, just okay. north of the Denver area. Okay. All right. All right. So so you've got the ranching background to go along with the authentic cowgirl boots, right? <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, mostly horses. We did a lot of 4-H. We did um, paint horse. 
with American Paint Horse. We went that right. circuit as well. So now right. I just ride for fun and ride and drive for fun. There mm-hmm. you go. There mm-hmm. you go. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes mm-hmm. people call folks uh, uh, cowboys or cowgirls, and and uh, and I kind of have to say I'm not a cowboy. I'm a horseman, and so I, I grew up with horses, and so that's where mine is. Cows and I just do not get along at all. Do not get along. At all. <laughs> and I I've agree. tried that a few times. I've tried that a few times. Yeah. I have tried that a few times. I did rope one heel one time, and that's the extent of my rope. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, so where do you where do you live now? Hot Springs, South Dakota. We're up in the Black Hills. It's beautiful up mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. all right. So you're kind of close to uh, Alan and Jill Kirkham, I guess, aren't you? Oh yeah, we're within about a half an hour. Mm-hmm. Wow! 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 I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna be in. Um, sh- hold on one second, Cheryl. I'm gonna be in Rapid City for the WWA conference in a couple of weeks. Are you? Are you going to that by any chance? Western Writers of America. I'm not going to that. Um, but I will be at the Hot Springs Arts Council. Um, that ah. IWMA show we're gonna have there. I hope you uh-huh. come down. Well, we're gonna we're we're trying to still figure out a little bit of logistics, but yeah, we're gonna kind of be up in your neck of the woods. <laughs> oh, I'd love to get together, you know, and we could drive up to Rapid too. It's you know, it's not that far away. Well, we'll off 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 the radio. We'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, I want to get to another poem. This is uh, this is I lo- I really like this one a lot. This is called Barbed Wire and Blues. Barbed Wire Blues. <laughs> Tell us about Barbed Wire Blues. Well, this is a true story. Happened to me when I was young, and I had a little horse. His name was Jackson, and it pretty much goes just like the poem says. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a listen to Barbed Wire Blues. We're talking to Cheryl Cedarberg today on the Campfire Cafe. Back when I was young and dumb and not much more than a kid, I had to learn things the hard way, like many of you did. I mean, think about your own life. What did you get tangled in? Things that sound good at the time, but you'd never try again. Well, it started when old Ted and I, we crossed the gravel road, then went down through the bar ditch where my pony and I slowed. As we approached, there it stood, that obstacle I most hate, for between me and freedom stood a taunt barbed wire gate. Now, I thought I was pretty tough, but I'm only nine or ten, and that gate was wrapped real tight as I think about it then. I pulled with all my might. I put my shoulder to the wood. The wire loop would not come off. I tried the best I could. First I pushed and then I pulled and then I pushed some more. The wire loop wouldn't raise an inch. Just made my shoulder sore. But then I found the cheater bar attached to post by chain. I wrapped it round that gate and I did not try in vain. I just needed a little help. That gate opened with a snap and landed on my horse's feet and caught him in a trap. Then he tried to jump the fence, which made things even worse. And I'm still holding on to the reins, which made things more adverse. 
while round and round me he ran till finally he broke free. And now with wire around my legs, the one who's caught is me. I tried to walk. I couldn't step. I hit the ground hard. Still wrapped in my wire hog tie, I lay there bruised and scarred. Well, I got myself untangled, but I don't remember how. It could have been worse, I guess, when I think about it now. But now I've learned my lesson. I'm careful with wire gates, and I step my horse aside. I know the trouble that awaits. Oh yeah, and one more lesson, something I now know. Sometimes when life gets tangled, it's best to just let go. Now you may think this cowgirl tale that it can never be, but I've got the scars to prove it, and they're just above my left knee. Facebook Live things, but I know you're back performing now, and I always enjoy sitting in the audience at your performances. What do you love about performing? Oh, you know, first, I love writing, but then I love performing, too. It's like the culmination, the the bringing it all to fruition. I love being in front of the audience. I love it when I connect well to them, that I've done the right poems for the right event. And and when it's quiet, I still don't get it sometimes. Um, I've played a lot up in Hill City in something that uh, can be a large event. And sometimes with the musicians, people don't listen and they're chatting in the background. Uh-huh, but when, uh-huh. when I get up there, all of a sudden, it's quiet, really quiet. And then I know. I got them. <laughs> so <laughs> well, and I think one of the fun things as a listener for poetry is there's um, there's always something unexpected um, I feel in a in a good poem where you know so even when we hear it over and over and over again we love it because we know even if we know what's coming it just brings even more of a smile you know to our faces and. Um, you know, we listen to music over and over again, even though we know the full lyric and we know where it's going. And I think good poetry is the same thing, a good storyteller, good poet. So when you're writing, are you thinking about um, how, you know, how a listener will want to grab a hold of that for over and over and over again? Yes, I do. Do I have a phrase that's catchy? Do I, what kind of hooks do I have to bring them uh-huh. in? And it's different when you're live. It, when you write a book, your hook a lot of times is right in the title. But yep. when you're live, you don't have that. So you've got to have that somewhere else. And sometimes it's the very last line that you, that you clue them in. Oh, that's where this is going. Or, oh, uh-huh. whatever. And, and it's fun <laughs> to, um, to have that um, to have that engagement with the audience. That's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have a poem on this um, album that, that is not on our playlist, but First Day. I remember oh. hearing that for the first time, and, oh, you took me places I did not expect. And I love listening to it, even though I know where we're going, because it's just such it's such a surprising and, and touching 
poem. And I just mm-hmm. think you have a great skill at at poetry. I, I really, I really enjoy you. Why, thank you so much. And yes, that was a hard poem. <laughs> you know, it's short, about a one minute. Oh boy, is it powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Gary, what are you playing next? Well, I'm going to play one that I just, uh, this was just cute as all get out. I don't mess with mama. I don't mess with mama. So, let's take, let's take a listen to this, and we'll come back and talk more with Cheryl in just a moment on the Campfire Cafe. Why, ain't that just the cutest thing that ever caught your eye? Like cinnamon and sugar with his mama standing by. Now that calf may look real cute in his young and tender age, but that mama standing there is a half ton of bison and rage. So if she shakes her shaggy head and glares with that eye so black, then starts pawing with that hoof, you best be staying back. Cause she can take you by her horns and spin you round and round and might disrobe you of your jeans before she slams you to the ground. Here in Custer State Park, we don't need the drama. Best be staying on your bike, and don't mess with mama. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. So do you do the Buffalo Roundups there? I do sometimes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's something that I would love to come and see sometime. Yeah, I would love to see the Buffalo Roundups. That's that uh, that I guess it draws huge crowds to come to that yes, event. Yes, and mhm, and they're so powerful. Yeah, they are, and uh, uh, so there are a lot of performances that are going on during that that event as well. So, uh, do you perform any up there? Yes, I've performed at the um, at the Buffalo Roundup and at Custer State Park other times. They have a Monday night program as well that goes yeah. out throughout the summer. That's in the very same area I've played up there. So, wow, well, well, that is a beautiful. Different. Yeah, that's a beautiful part of the country up there, and. Uh, yeah, I've got an old Tennessee girl that uh, moved up there a few years ago and and bought a campground, a horse campground. She's got a place called Bridal Ridge that's up oh. there. Are you familiar? No, I'm not. But I'll look that well, up. Well, I'll have to I'll have to put you in touch with them. So uh, anyway, she's got a beautiful campground up there. A lot of people, yeah. But that my my Tennessee friend just loves it up there in that part of the country. So. For the mm-hmm. folks that are listening around the world today, how can they get this CD, and how can they follow where you may be performing? It's on my webpage because I have both my schedule and my store where you can buy CDs and stuff. Um, that is CherylCederberg.com. Okay. And that's with an S. That's... S-A-C-R-L. Yeah. Okay. All right. So be sure and check her out. This is a this is a great great CD. It's called Wisdom in the Wind, and um, I wish we had a little bit more time. We just we're running short of time today, and that just breaks <laughs> my heart. So, 
Will you come back and be with us again? Oh, I, absolutely. I thank you for letting me come, and I've enjoyed this. I would love to. Well, it does get a little bit wild sometimes, especially with Bobby Bell, you know, on there. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, the wild one. Yeah, she, <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's been kind of kind of tame today. But anyway, we're going to wrap this up with another great poem. It's called Storyteller. Tell us about this one. That was done from a picture. There was a challenge on Facebook that um, that everyone was to write about the same picture. They call that expressive poetry. And there was a Mm -hmm. picture of, of someone talking around the campfire. And he's really talking with his hands, and he's really expressive. And so I wrote that story for that, for that poem or for that picture. Wow. Wow. Apparently, apparently, Cheryl, you get some pretty good ideas from Facebook, it seems like. So. <laughs> yes, I do. I try to get uh, ideas from life. <laughs> ideas from life. Ideas from life. Yeah. Well, this is Storyteller. It's uh, Cheryl Cedarberg, and again, it is from Wisdom in the Wind. Cheryl, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. All right. Come sit beside the campfire, boys. The day's work is done. Time to rest your weary bones beneath the setting sun. The new kid brings a mouth harp. It makes a lonesome sound. There's not a dry eye in the batch as we stare at the ground. Then Larky starts to sing, and he's the songbird of our band. Makes us kind of homesick in this dusty, barren land. Then Tom starts to yodel, and he needs to practice still, because we've heard better music from them coyotes on the hill. And Slim stands up tall and puckers up his face and then begins to whistle out the tune, Amazing Grace. Now a cowgirl slowly rises and she has tales to tell. So all our eyes turn on her and our attention starts to swell. Now this girl can spin a tale like Lefty spins his loop. He ropes us into the story and drags in that whole group. Now there's pink on the horizon, and the sun is setting fast. But all the cowboys know they've saved the best for last. Cause she can paint us pictures vivid as the desert floor. And when we think she's about done, she just goes on some more. About good ponies and good vittles and how to rope a bear. About that long lost city life she left behind somewhere. Moonlight's on the mesa, and that horse that can't be rode. Time with her creator, the best friend she's ever known. Not sure where this'll end, cause she's just warming up. Good thing for that coffee, so go ahead and fill your cup. Then put a log on the fire, sit back and watch it burn, cause you can lend your ear when this storyteller takes her turn. Well, it's time now for Saddle Up America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. When we come back, we'll be talking with our good friend, Mr. Randy Rasmussen with Backcountry Horsemen of America. I saw a crazy cowboy right across my dream. He turned and waved to me. What good in me, what good in me This crazy dream 
I did not recognize him His face was out of view He looked familiar Like someone that I I almost knew Well now I'm riding after midnight And I'm roping all the stars Heading across the prairie to the land of my heart There's a cabin waiting there with freedom on the door If I get there by midnight This crazy dream will bother me no more Or the cutest cowgirl a man has ever seen She came riding down a moonbeam Heading straight for me, oh straight for me Inside my dream She rode up to me, smiled and took my hand She said, now follow me Equestrian Legacy Radio Network in Nashville. I'm your host, Gary Holt. In Albuquerque, New Mexico is our co-host, Bobby Bell. 
And join us right now for Saddle Up America is our good friend, Mr. Randy Rasmussen with Backcountry Horsemen of America. Hey, Randy. Hello, Gary. Hi, Bobby. And happy summer to you both. Yeah, happy summer. (laughs) It's feeling like summer. (laughs) Feeling like summer here. What's, What's your weather like where you are, Randy? Well, in western Oregon where I live, um, it's, it hasn't been much of a spring. It's been a long, wet winter, and so uh, it's starting to really turn into something where there are mild temperatures, and it's quite nice. So I'm loving it, but uh, I know you and other parts of the country have been having summer weather for quite a while at this point. You know, it was really nice this past week, but it's kind of changing today. And uh, as a matter of fact, I think by the time that we get to Sunday, we're going to be up in the mid-90s. How about you, Bobby? What's what's it like in Albuquerque? Uh, I think we're in the 80s today. Um, again, rain is still predicted, but I think it's teasing us. Um, we just have lovely weather right now, this time of year. It's really lovely. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't write it any better than it's been this past week. Low humidity and, and uh, in the 70s and... Yeah, I could live here. I could live here. I do live here. What am I saying? I do live here. Oh, gosh. Well, Randy, it's good to have you back with us today. And uh, and I know you just finished uh, a big celebration with Backcountry Horsemen of America this past month. And, and just real quickly, tell folks what was going on. Well, sure. Since we covered that in your last show, um, you know, Backcountry Horsemen of America and our volunteers uh, have been around now for 50 years. So this is a half century of service organization because, right, we're a service organization that incorporated as a nonprofit in 1973, um, you know, in the Flathead Valley of Montana where four cowboys came around a campfire and said, we got to do something. We got to organize. We got to keep the trails open. And that's what we've been doing for five decades ever since. It's the men and women and people of backcountry horsemen are are just volunteers extraordinaire where they're going out weekend after weekend, day after day, maintaining trails, having relationships with the agencies, be they state, federal, local. Uh, And they're doing a lot of hard work to keep trails open. And I've, you know, been to so many of their work parties. I've been to several trail work parties locally. Um, it's a lot of work, but they just love it. And it's so thrilling to work for a group that's been around that long and is just nothing. But we're here for service, and that's our, that's our full purpose. So real great celebration with a lot of our, you know, folks that were even founders, you know, five, five decades ago uh, in, in the Flathead Valley where we celebrated and we elected our new chairman, Mark Himmel, who you, who you heard from last month on South yeah. America. Um, and right. we're off to a really great start for another another 50 years of, of service and volunteerism. Well, uh, 50 years from now, let's kind of visit again and see how you did. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I won't be here 50 years from now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, anyway, we congratulations on 50 years, and of course your convention was held uh, about the same time, and uh, a great, great, great group of folks that are doing tremendous work with Backcountry Horsemen of America. So if you're listening out there, if you have not become part of Backcountry Horsemen of America, 
let me encourage you to do that. You can visit bcha.org and just get busy and to work right now and become part of this great organization. And I understand that at some of these work parties, they have some pretty good food afterwards, too. So that's another encouragement to, to get out and take part in that. Indeed, yeah. Indeed, indeed. Well, you you sent me some information on a hot topic that we were going to discuss today, and uh, and I kind of went through that, but not being out in the western area, I was a little bit confused about some of this, so you are going to clarify everything for us now, and that is sure. access to public lands across private lands, and, and tell us a little bit about how this works, the corner cross and the landlocked land and so forth. Yeah, it, it's a confusing mess in a lot of states, and particularly a lot of western states. Um, and, of course, backcountry horsemen are about access and keeping access to public lands. So there are millions and millions of acres that are considered landlocked in the west because they're surrounded by private lands. And in many cases, we won't ever have access to some of those parcels, be they federal lands or even state lands. But there's at least over 8 million acres of land. That's 8 million acres of land wow. in the West that are public, federal public lands that do have common corners. So maybe I'll back up and talk about the railroad acts of the late 1800s when they were building railroads across country, right? And the okay. way they encouraged – the way the federal government encouraged the expansion of the railroad system from east to west coast – was to tell companies who were willing to build the railroads uh, during along that route, we will give you what they're calling every other section of what then was federal land. In other words, so and a section is a, a square mile, literally a square if you look at a map. Um, right. That's 640, 640 acres. Um, and so what the federal government was saying, because we partitioned lands according to grids at the time, um, that we'll give – Railroad companies ownership of every other section of, of of federal lands across that railroad alignment, going many miles deep, and all along that alignment, through you know through all kinds of terrain. And so what that created when those companies proved up and made good on building intercontinental transcontinental railroads, was ended up in a checkerboard pattern. So picture a checkerboard, and that's exactly what the map looks like where let's say the black squares are federal land and the white squares are the private land they gave to uh, the, the railroad companies. That's what a lot of the land ownership looked across large swaths, corridors, let's say, of the West where railroads wow. were built. And that – a big portion of that land ownership still exists even though lots of railroad companies developed towns, consolidated their holdings or swapped them out or sold them for a profit to other parties. We still have in many parts of the West a huge checkerboard landscape of federal or state public lands and then these private lands intermixed. And so therein lies the problem is how do you access these lands when they're technically not contiguous? So the checkerboard, as you know, if you're looking at the federal or the black squares, there's one corner where they meet on each corner where they meet another black square. Right. And so that's the contention here in this whole legal argument that happened that, thank goodness, to the public benefit was just 
resolved by a federal court last week because in this case it was Wyoming, Carbon County, Wyoming, uh, and a wealthy North Carolina businessman had a huge ranch that was oh, 22,000 acres, I think, called Elk Mountain Ranch. And he fenced the whole thing off, even though it included a lot of these checkerboard lands. All right. And he basically posted no, po- no trespassing signs and et cetera, and assumed that the public lands within that perimeter was also his to control and the public couldn't access them. So fortunately, a handful of hunters from Missouri – uh, said, we're going to challenge that and check that out. And so what they did is they actually went out and they hunted those lands and, and hunted the Elk Mountain area, but they stayed only on the public lands. And when they came to those corners, those corners we said where the, the, the federal public lands abuts another corner of, of federal public right. lands, they actually used, they actually used ladders, a, a, a inverted ladder, to step up and stay on the public lands and step back down on the other side of the public lands, never wow. touching the private lands. Wow. Nonetheless, nonetheless, when the ranch owner heard about these hunters on his, quote unquote, you know, his um, property, he sent the goon squad out to go oh my uh, God. capture these people. And so they, they stopped these people, but they were still on the federal land, so they'd never gone on private lands, you know, presumably. And they had the right. GPS tracking to, pr- to prove it. Nonetheless, the, the the fish and game marshals would not uh, give them a trespass citation. The federal marshals would not. But the the ranch owner convinced the sheriff to give them a citation for trespassing on private land. Mm. But here's wow. the rub: the the trespass wasn't because they they stepped foot on this gentleman's land. It's because they violated the airspace of this oh. gentleman's land. I, I saw that. <laughs> oh I just it's like whoa, whoa, <laughs> yeah. That. Think, think about that. Does does a bird violate the airspace of someone? Does a jet flying at thirty thousand feet violate your airspace if you own a piece of land? Of course not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even though a drone. no private property owners. Yeah, I'm sorry, Bobby. Go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking about a drone and what kind of what kind of stuff is the drones involved in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, 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 wow. Randy, tell us how much he was suing them for. Because this blew oh, my mind. Gosh. Well, this so blew the my owner mind. of the Elk Mountain Ranch sued them for oh seven and a quarter million dollars that oh. he claimed was lost lost ranch value because of this trespass in his airspace. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh gosh. Unreal. And so you know, and while the courts have asserted that private landowners do have some degree of control over the airspace, you know, if you're having private jets that are dipping in and buzzing your house, that's, you know, an, an actionable item. You could do something about that. Right. This kind of trespass right. has never been discussed. So ultimately, you know, and the good news is the Wyoming backcountry hunters and anglers, not to be confused with the Wyoming backcountry horsemen of America, uh, but okay. the Wyoming backcountry hunters and anglers created a legal fund to say if these people, if these private hunters are not successful and they're, they're, you know, they're both, they lose in terms of um, a monetary amount or a judge finds in their favor that the airspace is violated, hunters could lose access, the public could lose access to over 8 million acres of public lands that have this same problem. And so uh, they swung into action and created a legal fund 
that has gone through the courts, and most recently, like I said, just last week, the federal judge said hogwash. This whole claim of violating airspace, of alleged trespass, doesn't hold water. Uh, monetary damages at most, if you can prove they stepped on your land, might be $100, but that's it. You can't take it any further. Yeah. You know, this, mm. is, this is just yeah. nuts. So thank, thank God sanity rules in this case because there was a lot at stake here. Um, and for you know, it, it could have gone in a bad way if it, the judge had you know had found some other ruling or precedent that made him you know rule differently. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. But now, now my question is, you know, how how does that apply to trail riders? Because we're not going to ride a horse up a ladder up one side <laughs> down the other. So. <laughs> not my horse anyway I don't know about some horses but not my horse but there's lots of cases like this and there are lots of trails that actually go on that corner and technically it is a trespass if you're on the private land I can see that there are a lot of landowners who aren't challenging that or don't have an incentive to they're okay with public access as long as they stay on the other side of the fence or whatever is, is put there um, but there right. are trails that, that traverse these corners um, but it's just a bigger issue of public access and the public's right to access public lands and not allowing rich landowners to lock the public out, whether you hunt, whether you hike, um, you know, whether you use a drone or, or ride your horse. This, this could have had ramifications much deeper than just the corner crossings because it could have had an application to other situations where there's landlocked private lands – I'm sorry, public lands. Uh, that, right. that private landowners are keeping the public out. And that's happening, and there's still other lawsuits that are playing out in different cases uh, around those things. So this is all related in case law. There's a lot of concern, and so every group that cared about access was watching this closely for its precedent-setting nature. And, and again, thank goodness um, you know, those hunters prevailed. Right, 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 right. Well, I, you know, I, I, have ridden, I have ridden in areas here in Tennessee where um, you ride on private lands, but permission has been granted, uh, you know, in advance to campgrounds, to horse campgrounds for people to be able to access uh, portions of their uh, private property. I mean, is that not something that could be done um, across the board? Sorry, I guess it has to be done on an individual basis, I suppose. Yeah, no, unfortunately, there's a lot of good, willing land, you know, landowners in the private sector who say, I don't have a problem with access. I think it's a good thing, or I'm not concerned because there's, my state has certain liability laws where I wouldn't be on the hook liability-wise right. if someone injured themselves or something happened. Every state's a little bit different, but there are some model laws that most states have adopted that, I forget the term, but it indemnifies or holds harmless the, uh, the, the landowner for those Property kinds of owner. things. Property owner, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's good. There's a lot of great examples of where there's private landowners working hand in hand with the public, or even, you know, state or federal land managers, or even county parks, saying we're okay with that access, or we could grant you an easement, and so so a, per, so a yeah. certain fee, you know, we could do that, and we're okay with it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of wonderful examples like that. But this Wyoming case goes back because there's even. Uh, an act of Congress from 1885 called the Un- Unlawful Enclosures Act that prevents landowners from blocking access to federal public land. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, in essence, this was upheld, whether it's a physical footprint or whether it's, it, it, it's an airspace violation, so to speak. Um, there's a string of laws that protects the public's right for access to public lands, you know, as long as you're not impinging on those private lands if those landowners don't want you to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would think that that sh- should have been the case the whole time to, to have an easement or something, because, you know, why, why in the world would you want to separate public lands and have it, have it surrounded by private ownership? That just doesn't make sense. Does not make sense. Yeah. No, easements are a great tool because they provide some certainty. Let's say if the landowner wants to sell their land, you know, you don't have the next landowner say, well, I don't want to provide access. There's something that's already built, baked in that allows mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, it, it, mm-hmm. it gives something, the current landowner, it gives them something in return, maybe a tax reduction or something. And there's a lot of great land trust organizations that work on private land easements like we're talking about for public access and trails. There's a ton. Every state has a whole consortium of land trusts that do just this. And it's a wonderful thing to have that complements the public lands writing that we do, that if you can also do this, uh, much much like our colleagues on uh, ELCR, um, the Equestrian Legacy Conservation Resource, and you've had Holly, uh, their executive director, on this uh, show several times. Yeah. Um, her, her group helps facilitate those types of things and has resources to facilitate those types of easements to keep uh, riding on, on private land where there's willing landowners. It always has to be willing, of course. Um, you know, that how to make that work. And so that's a great complement to the work that BCHA does that is largely focused on public lands. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is, this is very interesting. This, this, this whole thing was very interesting. And, uh, and then when I saw what, what the uh, landowner was suing for, it just like, that just kind of blew my mind. Seven million mm. plus dollars for invading <laughs> my airspace which was probably like two feet wide and, you know, I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff. Crazy, crazy stuff yep. that people do. Wow. Wow. So what else is happening with BCHA as we move forward into the year 2023? We're going to get to the end of it. I mean, it's like, man, this year is gone. This is like June already. Yeah, we're close to halfway through. Well, in most of the BCHA states, all the 32 states in which we have active chapters, um, they're in full-fledged, you know, uh, work mode here. Work parties are happening. Snow levels are keeping some of the work parties out of the, the higher tier, you know, or higher elevation areas. But right. work is getting done because, as we know, you know, especially in the Sierras and Rockies, a lot of snow in the Cascades for that yep. matter, too. Tons of, tons of snow that will keep our – volunteers from going to high elevations but lots of runoff lots of storm damage that needs to be repaired even access to higher elevation areas but we have a lot of active chapters you know what i call in the non-mountainous regions too of course right everything from kansas to arizona arizona is quite uh mountainous you know but there's lots of places in public land where you can ride and our our folks have been working for months uh on, on trail maintenance and and those kind of partnerships so does a lot of work just because of a lot of those storms we had in, in the last winter throughout most of the country. And that's going to keep folks busy. And we're going to have to keep finding ways to find more partners, more volunteers, and more resources to get the job done because 
there's just a lot of trail work, and the fires didn't help for these past several seasons that we're, we're, we're getting behind, unfortunately. Um, and we've got to prioritize and find those places, but it's where we have those partnerships that really we get the most work done with other like-minded, either, you know, nonprofit groups that do trail maintenance with agencies and other partners, um, and even folks that provide resources. It could be just as simple as reimbursing, um, you know, finding money to reimburse for our diesel when we haul our animals back and forth to the trailhead, you know, over the course of hundreds of miles and in, in, in a big, in a given work party. Um, but it's happening now and it'll really be starting in earnest in the high country very soon. Wow. Wow. Well, you have any, you have any uh, events or riding that you have planned? I know you get out on the trails occasionally. They don't make you go yeah, to Washington I- all the time. Oh, thank God I don't go to D.C. all the time. No, um, I am looking forward to, to next, next week going to Denver. I mean, I love – I used to live in the front range of Colorado, um, and the American Horse Council, our national partner that represents the yeah, entire yeah. horse industry. We should really get Julie Broadway, their president, on this show to tell you all the universe of what they cover. But it's amazing how much they, they do as an organization. But they represent the entire equine industry, and I mentioned before on the show – from, from the breed organizations to the racing organizations, from everything in between, and even small, you know, relatively small budget nonprofit groups like mine and the American Endurance Resource, uh, I'm sorry, American Endurance Ride um, Conference and ELC, right. who I mentioned before, we're all part of that, as are the state horse councils. Uh, but we get a lot of attention from American Horse Council, and, uh, and particularly I get to chair what's called their Recreation Trails and Land Use you know, committee. Oh, great. Um, where we have, we have all these great minds of the equine world talking about basically access issues in public and private lands and things we can do to improve that situation. That's what we'll be talking about in Denver next week. And my chair, Mark Himmel from BCHA will be joining us too. Um, and it's great nice to come together with a lot of folks and just really focus on the equine piece of the equation and how we can leverage that as partners and even bring in some of these other major players that I mentioned that American Horse Council represents. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And they're well, it should be a, it should today. be a good week. Tell my friend, Christy Landweir, Heidi, when you see her there. Oh, she's great. Yeah. No, the certified horsemanship work that she does uh, is great. And she's a great public speaker, as you know, uh, and yeah. I'm sure she'll be there too. And yeah, she, for, in fact, she lives in, in Colorado, so I hope she's, she'll be there. Well, I expect she will. By the way, she has now changed positions because she is with the National Rain, Raining Horse Association instead oh, of the Certified oh, Horsemanship okay. Program. Yeah, so she's kind of right. shifted, wearing a different hat now, but, uh, but she will be there, I'm sure. So be sure and tell her hi. Okay, well, there is a lot to look forward to with BCHA. And again, we encourage folks uh, across the country that are listening, if you're not involved, get involved. And uh, BCHA is not just out in the West. They're back here in the East and, and, and take an active part in keeping these trails closed, uh, open, not closed, but the trails that are <laughs> in need of help. So. Be sure and get involved with BCHA wherever you are, and you can do that by visiting bcha.org. And uh, isn't there a map or something that you can click on there, Randy? Yeah, there 
Yes. Thanks for mentioning that. There is a chapter <laughs> locator, we call it. It's a mapping tool, an interactive map. We're about halfway down on our landing page at bcha.org where you can find a local chapter. And you can click on that. You can blow up the map and get more detail or click on that, and it will give you contact information for chapters across the nation and how you can get involved if you reach out to those folks. So you don't have to be, you know, a, you know, a dyed-in-the-wool as our last, as your last guest was talking about, person that you know only uses their 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 you know boots for for riding, and it can be it can be every every person who has an interest in keeping trails open and public access, um, and and helping out work parties in any way they can, from helping to cook and set up shop in the tents, to being out there and being certified sawyers or crew bosses. There's there's a role for everybody who wants to get involved and a good group of folks to to do it with. Well, there is. And Randy Rasmussen, it is always enjoyable to visit with you and to talk about some of these different hot topics that are out there. And, and I don't think I'm going to forget this one that we talked about today. Seven million dollars, <laughs> Bobby. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. Randy, look forward to having you back next month. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you, Gary. Bobby, you take care. All right. We're going to listen to the Saddle Up song by the Farmer and Adele, and we'll be back in just a moment with Bobby Bell on Saddle Up America.
Grace Adele, the farmer and Adele, and uh, now the proud parents of a beautiful baby girl, Miss Vera. That's the Saddle Up song. Well, Bobby, this has been kind of a fun show today. Yes, it has. Miss Miss Aspen Black and uh, visiting with her and... Man, I didn't have any idea she played so many instruments, did you? Oh, I know. No. Wow. No, I really didn't. I really didn't. I think the only thing I didn't hear her say was harmonica, but I... She may play that. We just didn't talk about it. She may play that uh, as well. (laughs) uh, That's right. But anyway, great visiting with Aspen, and uh, Cheryl was uh, such a great guest to visit with. Love her poetry. I mean, I really enjoyed her poetry and uh, selecting some poems for today's show. We'll have to have mm-hmm. her back pretty soon. That was a lot of fun. And Randy Rasmussen, man, he was kind of eye-opening about that uh, <laughs> that checkerboard thing. And, wow, seven and a quarter million dollars getting sued for invading two feet of airspace. That was amazing. Amazing. Crazy. But anyway... Anyway, get get involved with Backcountry Horsemen of America. It's a fantastic organization. It helps to keep these trails open for all of the trail riders out there, and that's bcha.org to get involved there. We have a great, great show that's coming up on Saturday with Live from Nashville, Bobby, and that is The Girls Next Door. That is the Girls Next Door 2.0, because they are back with a brand new EP, and uh, we're featuring a lot of the music from that EP on Saturday, and uh, CMA Fest starts next week, and on the final Sunday, on the 11th, uh, they will be having Sunday morning country at the Grand Ole Opry House. And Miss Brenda Lee has hosted that, I think, for 41 years. Wow. And, uh, and our good friend, Cowboy Joe Babcock and the Babcocks uh-huh. are going to be there. Uh, mm-hmm. I, don't know how, I don't know how long Joe's been part of that, but for a long, long time. Long and, time. Uh, and, and the girls next door will be one of the performers there for that. So they'll oh, be back on fun. the stage at the Grand Ole Opry. So that's going to be a whole lot of fun. And CMA Fest, a lot of the artists that are performing have been on our shows. And so that's going to be a great week. Bobby Marquez has such a big heart. You know, Bobby's got a big old smile, don't you? Oh, I know. <laughs> you know. All the time, yes. His heart is as big as his smile. And so uh, he has put together a tremendous benefit for St. Jude's Hospital. I think this is his eighth year. And uh, he has put together a great, great performance called Country with Heart. And that's going to be taking place on June the 10th. And that is at the Nashville Nightlife Dinner Theater. Uh, right across the Opryland Hotel. But let me tell you who's going to be on that show. This is kind of a cool deal. Dennis Quaid is going to be performing. You know Dennis Quaid, the actor? Mm-hmm. I, well, yes. I don't know him, but yes, uh, I know him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, I just yeah. saw Dennis Quaid in uh, the movie Wyatt Earp the other day yes. where he played mm-hmm. Doc Holliday. 
And uh, and Dennis is now performing here in Nashville and uh, has been on the Grand Ole Opry stage a couple of times. But Dennis is going to be there. Johnny Rodriguez will be performing. John Berry, who's been on the show. John McEwen, who was just on live from Nashville a couple of weeks ago, is going to be performing, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band founder. John Mm -hmm. Schneider, you remember the Dukes? I do. John Schneider will be performing. Barbara Fairchild, Bailey and the Boys. And then this hits real close to home, Miss Bobby. Rex Allen Jr. is going Mm -hmm. to be performing, along with, America's favorite cowboys, the Riders in the Sky. So that is all taking place on June the 10th. You can get tickets for that show at uh, eventbrite.com and just search for Country with Heart and get tickets. They're only $35 for all of that entertainment, and that's going to be a whole lot of fun. But that is on June the 10th. And uh, you can get up close and personal with all these performers and get autographs and visit and have pictures made. And and a great meal will be available as well. Uh, tickets are only $35 if you buy them in advance, $40 at the door. And uh, dinner will be served as well. So if you'd like dinner, that's another $25 to have dinner there. Uh, what else can I tell you, Bobby? What else is going on? That's about it for me. What about you? Have you been, well, have you been receiving, uh, like I, a lot of CDs in the mail and also MP3s and album MP3s through your email? I'm uh, curious. Yes, I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of email with the MP3s, and, and that seems to be the way that uh, a lot of people are doing it now. I mean, you know, they've got, more people are doing singles releasing singles. I just got one from next week's guest, as a matter of fact, Alan Chapman just sent a new single release. Yes. And uh, so Alan is going to be on and we will be premiering his new CD next week with Alan on the show. So that's, that's great. Yeah. But yeah, I'm getting a lot of stuff that way. It's, it's interesting. Aspen, um, of course, released a CD, and I really appreciate, as always with CDs, you get all the liner notes, you get all all the information. In the last um, 10 days, I've received 10 CDs, four total albums as MP3s, and eight singles. And um, this week's Out West Hour, you know, Out West Hour can only uh, can do about 17 songs. I'm I'm going to concentrate on all the new music I've received. And it's really hard when you have received that much abundance of good quality <laughs> music and figure out how to just get 17 songs out of there. <laughs> well, you just but make two shows just, out of it. That's what you have to do. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just very interesting to me. It seems like all of a sudden we've always received, been blessed with the um, music from um, performers. But just in the like the last 10 days, I'm just amazed at how much well, I've been receiving. Well, there's a lot, so- of, a lot of new music that's being created. And, uh, you know, well, we we're, fortunately we've been premiering a lot of new music. Yeah, live from Nashville and on this show as well, and so that's just kind of yes. a cool deal yes. to be able to do that. But yeah, things are changing in the music world, and uh, 
you know, I don't know. I don't know if Alan Chapman's ever released just a single. I think this is his first to do a single, you know. But uh, we, we've kind of been talking about the fact that things are going to be changing as far as the way music is delivered. And uh, we just need to we just need to be ready for it. So mm-hmm, anyway, mm-hmm. well, we are running out of time and uh, we're going to have to wrap up for today. It's been a fun, fun show. I know, I know, I know that you have a great closing thought for us. I do. This is from Wilford Peterson. Walk with the dreamers, the believers, successful people with their heads in the clouds and their feet on the ground. Let their spirit ignite a fire within you to leave this world better than when you found it. All right. And for the folks that are listening around the world, tune in to the writer's block tonight, Rendezvous with the Writer. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's at what, 6 o'clock Central? Is Uh, that right? 6 o'clock Pacific time, 6 o'clock Pacific Six. time, uh, 8 o'clock Central, Eight o'clock um, Central. LA Talk Radio Facebook page. Mm-hmm. All right. And we'll be live. Check it yeah. out. You will you will have yeah. a big time watching Bobby and her husband, Jim, interview these great <laughs> authors. So we're going to wrap this thing up today with a great song from our good friend, Sarah Pierce. It's one called Cowgirls Ride. Tune in Saturday at noon for Live from Nashville. Be back with us next Thursday for the Campfire Cafe and Saddle of America. Bobby, we'll see you next week. Girls like girls grow up in ponytails and Levi's. Cowboy boots and ball caps Turn our horses on a dime Girls like us drive a pickup And got ourselves a good dog We don't need ribbons or pearls Girls like us are cowgirls Cry. We fall, we may break, we never lose our faith. We were born that way. Cowgirls ride. Girls like us read the weather by the clouds in the sky. Driving with the radio up. Girls like us stick together In good times and bad times We're ready to take on the world Girls like us are cowgirls We fall, we may break, we never lose our faith, we were born that way.
faith, we were born that way. 